Welcome to another episode of Invisible Disco Productions podcast's Writer's Block Party. We're hoping to share the work of emerging artists and break down the all-too-often mysticized process of creating and developing art. I'm Denise Boulat. And I'm Amelia Annan. And today we have a wonderful, magnificent guest with us, Esther Um. Esther Um is an actor, writer, visual artist, and hopefully a future historian. Esther is a senior at a New York University. I really was about to say NYU, but at New York University, currently working towards undergraduate degrees in drama and history. They mainly write poems and screenplays. Esther's poem, I Love You, I Think I Do, was most recently featured at the Strasbourg Students of Color Open Mic Night. They have also had their plays featured in Invisible Disco's All Work, No Play, 10-Minute Play Festival and CAS Theater's One Act Festival. They are also a member of Tish's Artists in Action's Research and Development Committee, a student-led club focused on finding opportunities to give back and speak up through art. Currently, Esther is fascinated by the genre of gothic fiction and what works within the genre show us about the human experience. Hi, Esther. Hi, Esther. Hi. Thanks for having me. Gosh, our pleasure. Thank you for coming. <laughs> so you brought in a little uh, little scene, a little, little screenplay? Yeah, it's called Late. Right now it's a short film. Do you want to say anything about it before we begin? Or should we just dive right into it? Uh, yeah, I'm afraid that I might give um, the ending away. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do that. Um, well, I'll read for Sky, and Amelia here will read for Georgie. Georgie, yes. <clears throat> say more. Okay, if you can, let's begin. Interior, Sky and Georgie's Brooklyn apartment. Sky sits on the couch of their apartment, all dressed up and ready to head out. They are heating up from layers of clothing they have on. Getting impatient, they fiddle with their scarf. They glance over at their cell phone to check the time. Fuck you, fuck you, seriously, today of all days? They chuck their phone to the other side of the room. A second later, the front door opens and Georgie enters, frazzled and frantic, but still cheerful. God, you wouldn't believe the delay on the L today. Well, actually, <laughs> I think you would, considering its reputation. Georgie laughs at himself, then abruptly stops after realizing Skye has been glaring at them. I, I, uh, I'm sorry. I, I meant to text you, but there was no signal. No, you didn't. What? Don't bullshit me. You didn't text me because you didn't mean to. Wow, hey, um, what's gotten into you? Me? You're asking me? I should be the one asking you. What the hell is wrong with you? Georgie tries to interrupt, but fails to come up with a response. You don't talk to me for weeks. You avoid me like the fucking plague, even though we live in the same damn apartment. You rush out the door before I can even get in a good morning or a hello, and then you rush in through the door every night and disappear into your room. Sky, look, I... Do you think I'm stupid? Do you think I wouldn't notice? For almost a month, I've been trying to find a way to talk to you about it, to figure out if I've done something wrong. Each time I approached you, it was, I'm actually really tired today, or I had to work the closing shift today, so I think I'll turn in early. I thought maybe I teased you a little too much, or that one night after drinks with James and Haley, or maybe you didn't find my jokes about your mom going overboard on every Thanksgiving too funny. My mom does go a little overboard, asking everyone to make hand turkeys after desserts. Every year is a bit embarrassing. This isn't funny, you asshole. Skye grabs a cushion from the couch and throws it at Georgie. Georgie ducks right on time for it to hit the wall behind them. You, you left me wondering what I'd done wrong for a month. We've been friends for years now and you... Skye collapses back onto the couch, exhausted. They put their head in their hands. I, I never meant to... 
I'm so sorry, Skye. I thought when you agreed to going out for dinner on your birthday with me, we were agreeing to put all of that behind us. Skye, ignoring Georgie, turns on the TV. The evening news is on. On screen is a horrific, chaotic scene. Injured people are being wheeled on gurneys. We currently do not know too much about the situation, except that there seem to be many injured and few confirmed dead. As we are continuing to receive further information, we will be keeping you updated as we hear back. Georgie walks over to the TV and turns it off. Can you be any more annoying? Jesus. Georgie takes this in. They scrunch their face, then quickly tries to smile again. Then they walk over and sit next to Sky. Happy birthday, by the way. Georgie rummages through their bag to find a small, messily wrapped box. They offer a small smile as they hand the box to Sky. Sky looks up and takes the box slowly. What's this? Open it. Come on, open it. It's a gift. Bad timing, I know, but it's still my best friend's birthday. Sky takes off the wrapping from the box, then slowly opens it. Inside the box is a fountain pen. It looks expensive. Sky stares at it for a while. The two sit in silence until Georgie speaks again. Don't get too cheesy on me now. I'm still the asshole here, remember? Even more of an asshole, really, now that I'm trying to bribe you. We've graduated now, which means you're officially a real writer, not just another annoying, pretentious, Dickens-loving English major. I thought this might come in handy. Sky softens up a bit. I have a MacBook Pro, and this isn't 1895. That's not very dead poet society of you. You're not going to write a classic with a MacBook Pro. Why? Well, I mean, I don't think F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote The Great Gatsby on a MacBook Pro. You know, that's not what I'm asking. Georgie's face hardens, their signature cheeky smile disappearing all at once. I never told you that Carl and I broke up, did I? What? Yeah, I guess our time was up. I thought you were planning to move in with her once Sir Lee sends next to you. I guess you won't be getting rid of me that easily. <laughs> things have changed. I mean, things have been changing for a long time. But with graduation and everything, I just didn't have time to process it all in, until it was too late. I'm sorry. It's fine. I called it off. She hates my guts now, which, but I don't blame her. Plus, it's been a month anyway, so I feel... Wait, it's been a month? You two broke up a month ago? Yeah. Is this why you've been avoiding me? Because you've been upset about the breakup? Georgie, I know I yelled my head off at you when you first walked in, but you could have let me know. You don't have to go through all that by yourself. No, 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 that wasn't. I mean, it was and it wasn't. It was a lot of things, and that was part of it, but the breakup was more collateral. No, that uh, came out the wrong way. Um, it was the result, not what the... What was it, then? Cause of it all, it's more complicated. Just spit it out already. She wanted me to move out before the end of the year and move in with her. Well, not officially. It was more like she wanted me to stay with her for the time being while I continue to cover my half of the rent for this place. I don't understand. We could have figured all that out. I would have understood she's your girlfriend. There's, there's more. Georgie goes silent once again. I waited for a month. I can wait a little longer. Take your time. I'll just sit here and watch the news while I wait. Skye turns the TV back on using the remote. Georgie quickly gets up and turns it off manually. Georgie now stands in front of the TV screen. What's the fucking use of paying for cable every month if you're not going to let me watch? She wanted me to move in with her because she thought there was something going on between us. 
For a while, the room is completely silent. Sky lets out a forced laugh. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Clara's weird as hell. Always has been. <laughs> She's ridiculous. Right? I didn't really think about it that way until she brought it up. But when it came down to it, being here with you or going with her, I... What does that mean? I'm here now, aren't I? What do you think that means? Don't play games with me right now. If this is a joke, Georgie Feldman, it's, it's a cruel, cruel one. I'm not joking. Because if you're making fun of me, I... You knew, right? That's why you're doing this to me right now? Doing what? Sky gets up off the couch and takes a few steps. I've had it with you. This is just mean. I knew you could be a little piece of shit sometimes, but if you're doing this to me right now, it means you've known it all, to, all this time and... Sky tries to head for the door, but Georgie gets in their way. Known what? Sky tries again, only for Georgie to stop them. Again. This continues for a while. Please, Sky, where, where are you going? Stop. What are you... Please, God, Sky. Sky freezes. Georgie has never yelled like this in front of Sky before. Georgie instantly regrets having done so. Sky, I don't know what I could have known. To be honest, I, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. All I know is that I really like you. I'm a dick for having avoided you. I'm so sorry. I didn't know what to do once I'd realized. I felt like a liar trying to pretend everything was normal. I hate lying. I hate lying to you. I don't want to lie to you. Georgie walks over to the couch and sits down. They stare at the ground. While Georgie speaks, Sky heads over to the couch. I didn't want to do this tonight. I mean, I was going to apologize, but not like this. I was going to make it up to you at dinner and then at least try to lie for our friendship's sake. Georgie is cut off as Sky kisses them. They break for a second, then kiss again. When they break again, the two laugh. Suddenly, Sky's phone rings. Sky gets up to get it. Didn't think that piece of junk would still work after I checked it across the room. No! Sky stops in their tracks. No, 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 not yet, please, please. What, what's wrong? I need, I need more time, I only just told you, please, please, just a little bit more. Hey, hey, well, everything's gonna be okay, I'm here. The phone keeps ringing, it seems to almost be ringing louder. Don't pick it up, don't, please, oh my god, fuck, fuck! The phone keeps ringing, the ringing is now unbearably loud. What the hell is wrong with this thing? Hello? No, 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 I'm, so I'm sorry. I'm so sorry I lied. I shouldn't have lied. I'm a liar. I didn't want to, but I had to. I had to for a little more time with you, but I'm, I'm not finished. I'm not done. I... Georgia continues to sob. As Skye listens to the person on the other end of the phone call, their face grows more and more stoic. Turn on the TV. Georgie is inconsolable. Skye swallows back tears. Their face is still stoic. Georgie, turn on the TV now. Georgie stops sobbing. They slowly grab the remote, their hands shaking, and turn the TV on. The news is still playing. A headline flashes. Explosion on the L. You were there, weren't you? Georgie turns to look at Skye and slowly nods. Skye finally lets out a sharp gasp, then quickly turns their head away from Georgie, unable to look at them. And you aren't here now, are you? Look at me one last time before I go. Sky takes a breath and turns their head. Before we see them look, Georgie in their eyes, the screen goes black. Credits. Please Love Me Forever by Bobby Vinton plays. Let's take a moment. And I'm in tears again. My daily dose of crying fulfilled, thank you. Um, 
Okay, moving on. <laughs> anyway, I <laughs> uh, thank you for coming. So let's all all the listeners take a moment to just you know absorb that into your little brains. Good <laughs> little brains. Yeah, dear listeners, we just gather you over here so Amelia can insult you. <laughs> your brains are little if you think about it. Um, oh my god, that was Esther. incredible. I want to know what's going on in your head. Like, oh yeah. my <laughs> honey, why would it you feels, do this? We had an entire conversation about Bly Manor earlier before we started recording, but it feels very Bly Manor, very, um, you know, a modern. I mean, not shows kind of modern, but you know, like a, you know, a ghost story that's also a love story. Thank you. It's very juicy. <laughs> I love it very Thank much. You. So, like, like where, where did this compliments. come from? Like, where did you start writing this? Like, what was the inspiration? Okay, there is there are two parts of this where the first involves Fly Manor. Um, yes. I had just finished watching it. I think it was Friday night. I was in a really bad mood. I had cried earlier that day. I was going through it mentally. Um, and I finished that, so I was even in a worse mood. And um, I was like, I'm just going to listen to sad music. I'm going to make a playlist. I'm going to listen to it and just let myself, like, nap. So I put together this uh, list of songs and I'm listening to them and I'm thinking about what happened in Bly Manor and I'm thinking about the <laughs> lyrics of the song and I'm thinking to myself, I subconsciously made a playlist that's telling a story that's very thematically similar to Bly Manor and I'm kind of interested. Um, and on top of that, I've been thinking about ghost stories recently because ghost stories have actually been a really big part of my life. I have a few of my own and I have... Um, just an interest in them. And recently I've been thinking about the way they kind of reflect um, this sort of human experience, um, specifically regarding regret and the passage of time. And ghost stories tend to kind of make regret not a thing of the past only, but also of the future. So like the sort of um, the future that never came to be. So like ghosts with unfinished business, but also um, this desire to kind of avenge the past, which is regret of the past. Um, and I thought about that and I was like, that's an intense, that's a real life fear. Um, and, and then I thought, um, what is something I would regret if I, you know, what is something we typically think about regret? And it's something that you don't say to someone you love. And I thought to myself, if I ever have a crush, I know in myself that I would never be able to say anything. I will take it to my grave. Um, so then the story arrived. <laughs> I'm absolutely, I need you to tell me your ghost stories. Maybe we can fit that in at the end. That's, yes. That will be our last question. You tell us all your ghost stories. Our next guest will be. <laughs> the ghost that Esther yes. I won't yes. be here for it, but y'all have to <laughs> <with> that. <laughs> That's just something I don't want to see. Why is it that people want, people feel like they need to listen to sad music or watch a sad movie when they're sad? Like that's. So wrong like humans what's wrong with you <laughs> why I, yeah i mean i feel like it's to feel the emotion like you know like if it's yeah. stuck inside i mean like, if you I... don't feel it it's never gonna pass yeah so might as well have this that catharsis is... oh, it's all about the catharsis baby catharsis <laughs> and like what was your process of writing it were you like listening to that music while writing it did you just like get the idea while doing that did you like the entire movie so I got the idea of um this like unsaid thing between two people who just never got to have this future and um have so many regrets about the past while mm. listening to the songs <clears throat> and while I was writing I sort of realized 
okay, this is the song I want to listen to right now because this corresponds to this moment that I'm writing. So mm-hmm. I almost started to form like a soundtrack for the short film in my um, by my listening of the songs while I write. So that was quite interesting. Which does music play a big part in your writing in general? Um, yeah. I, I would say so. I always thought that um, visual, like images did, like paintings and images, because I, I sometimes would paint and then I'll write a poem, but I realized that specifically for poems, like visual images actually work well. And then for things that are dramatic and are actually like scenes, um, music actually guides me really well into where I'm going. That's really interesting. I do the same thing, and I'm that's so interesting. I never, like, I didn't realize I was doing it for a long time, but I would always, like, think of things when I was listening to music and be like, oh, that, that'd be nice. Like, maybe I write that. Um, but I just feel like music definitely has a power that, like, is, a, is, is quite, is quite uh, inspiring. Is the word yeah. I'm when you started to write it, did you know about the ending? Like, was that all planned out? Yeah. Oh, I wanted like, yes. like, yeah, I, I yeah. knew it and I did it anyways. <laughs> I, I immediately wanted dread <laughs> in this piece. Um I wanted hope and then just absolute dread. Do you enjoy making your audience cry? Because <laughs> um, like if I'm sad then I'm taking it all down. <laughs> y'all down with Look, me. I had just finished Blind Manor and I of course I'm not gonna spoil it for the people who are gonna listen to this, but I think as expected from the genre, like there's a lot of emotions <laughs> and I wanted people to feel. I wanted to take yeah. back the control and um yeah, I knew what was gonna happen because I and then the trick was sort of like making sure it was like not noticeable yet mm. like made sense at the end. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, definitely knew that how did <laughs> that you was keep gonna take place. on track to accomplish that, like keeping the surprise but also planting the seeds. That was really difficult and it's something I'm facing now as I'm kind of I want to turn it into full-length film um and so a big part of that was um how do I not keep this going on too long for my audience to not be engaged and think oh well they're gonna end up happily ever after we they're in love as we've seen this before um not that cliches are bad but um but also how do I drop little clues like the news reporter speaking Mm -hmm. without it being really obvious from the beginning like that has something like intensely to do with what's going to happen um so it was just a lot of like I can't string this conversation between them along for too long but they have it has to be long enough so that um the news reporters bits are kind of hidden in between yeah I guess I was like so invested in uh, their conversation um I didn't even like pay that much attention to or like I did pay attention to what the news reporter was saying but I didn't really think about what purpose it served like I didn't really question mm-hmm. its existence and then the ending was so shocking like it was so well constructed in that way it did run we have Bly Manor and Hill House as well like how obviously this is not a spoiler none there won't be spoilers don't turn off the podcast <laughs> no spoilers. how they would like do something in episode two and then it would like come back to it in episode eight and I'm like oh my goodness how did they like thought this out so well it had that element yeah I think like uh did you write this all and like you sat down wrote the whole thing or did you um like you you plant the seeds really well at the beginning like the whole like oh, I was late like uh, L train it's like such a normal thing to say yeah fuck L train but it's like such a little like yeah little nugget that 
when you because this i will admit is the second time dennis have read this script and when we first read it we were like oh, what the heck <laughs> um and like rereading again i was like oh this is just you know a little trail a little trail to the plot twist it's really quite um quite yeah great. yeah i actually once i had the idea i was like so afraid of losing it that i wrote it all down really fast while trying to speed through the playlist and like figure out what i'm listening to um and then I kind of went over it, but yeah, it was all at all in one sitting. Um, I just like couldn't see myself trying to take it and try to write it for the long run when I had it fresh in my mind. So, so you commented a little about like what you it looked like it would look like in its full form. So, like a feature length, like would it be like the same characters the whole time, or would it be like different people? Yeah. Um, during our writers' collective meeting, actually, um, Lauren had an amazing idea when uh, we read this, um, as she, where as she does, as she does um, <laughs> where she thought, well, this L train must have had other people, and it must have been like a big thing. So, what happened mm-hmm. to the other people? Um, and I thought that's amazing. That's a great idea. I can find the stories of other people and then intertwine intertwine them together until we hit this ending with Georgie. And then you slowly find out everyone actually is dead. They're not with their loved ones. Um, so that's where I'm headed. Even more despair because more people are ghosts now. Um, but yeah. Catch so. me at the, at the premiere of that sobbing. <laughs> so would it be one of those movies like that tell, well, this won't be within the same apartment, but you know those movies that tell like how like all these stories of people who live in the same apartment or like who work at the same place or like... You know how they're like some sort of interconnected in some ways relationship wise just one movie with multiple relationships yeah i mean i mean i'm imagining like the first scene is like people getting onto the train like rushing to get on this train and then the door closes and you see the title and then the next scene you'll see is just like someone entering rushing into their apartment building and it's one of those so you never actually like, see the you know, where you always like run to make it to the train you know, and then you die. I hope not always. <laughs> I hope that's not no, always. No, never. <laughs> never. Oh, Esther traumatized me. Okay. Yeah, I will be never taking this away ever again. No, I mean, reading it the second time, it made me feel like I'm re-watching like a Nolan film where I know what's going to happen. So now I'm like mesmerized by like all the seeds that, he's planted all this time and that I have like haven't seen because I'm like a silly little audience watching it in awe. <laughs> I'm a silly little audience. <laughs> silly little audience member. <laughs> um yeah, oh my like it's so masterful. Like even in these ten pages, it, I'm so mesmerized by the fact of how masterful it is. Nobody's gonna believe it when we call this one of your earlier works. <laughs> earlier. This is an early too kind. Um, you mentioned in your bio, like, loving gothic literature. Was that the word you used? Literature? I think gothic fiction. Um, gothic fiction. Have you been, like, reading some? Watch, obviously, Blind Manor, I would say, falls into gothic fiction. Um, <laughs> this is a podcast about you, but it's also about Blind Also about Blind <laughs> Um. Yeah. Have Cast you been, like, us. do you... <laughs> um, Michael Flanagan, if you're listening... <laughs> He was also in our We're available. Like, what else can we do at this point? <laughs> what more do you want from us? Um, have you been reading or watching other things besides Supply Manor? Yeah. Like um, 
I've been reading, um, I'm in the middle of reading Picture of Dorian Gray, which is mm-hmm. like obviously very famous classic. I've not read it before because um, I've I haven't been, read it either. I love you know, it. I've been super big into ghost stories. Like I, I used to be a weird kid in high school. Whenever we'd be on computers, I would be searching like spooky haunted places in New Jersey because that's where I'm from <laughs> and seeing which one is the closest to my, um, my town. Um, but I never read gothic fiction because it just seemed like too romantic. And then I started reading Picture of Boring Gray and I was like, I love this. I'm actually very into this. It's not as cheesy as I thought it was going to be. Um, <laughs> this is good. Um, and then I also, um, this is not really gothic, but in the terms, in the sense of like mystery and learning how to like build up that tension. Mm-hmm. Um, Donna Tartt has been a really big inspiration because Donna Tartt wrote The Secret History, which I'm obsessed with. And that's a reverse mystery. So it starts off, you know, the ending and yet she holds you. She keeps you at the edge of your seat the entire time. I so yeah, you guys should. It, it's really awesome. Um, so yeah, those two have been like the big books that I've been really into these days. Mm. I guess like with your history major, obviously you're not taking like history of ghosts, but you know, <laughs> I think there is a certain element, there is a certain element of like hauntedness that comes along with like knowing a lot about history and like kind of thinking about like the grounds that you stand on right now, like a lot of people died like a lot of years ago. Um, Has like, how has your history major helped you or I guess not helped you in your writing or art in general? Yeah, um, I think it's interesting because the way I see history is like, you're taking um, all you find and you're weaving a narrative together. And sometimes those narratives clash, which is, you know, we see that often with historians. Um, And I love the idea of having to piece together a story, even though it's, you know, stories that were real, they happened. Um, But also one quote that I um, kind of think about a lot in terms of like why I love history is, there's a quote by William Faulkner in one of um, his books, I forget which one, but there's a quote that says, uh, the past is never dead. is not even past. I think that's the quote. And that resonates with me a lot, even I think especially it resonates today. Um, You see that a lot of things that have happened in the past just never leave us completely. And it's our job to like understand that and um, sort of learn to undo those damages and face the ghosts of our past, whether we were alive then or not. And that is just a super strong motivation for me to be in history. And that also is a motivation I think is in a lot of my writing is just reflecting on the past and like, what could be if we don't? Um, yeah. What could be if we don't? Reflect or... Oh. Reflect. Yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. I saw, I won't lie, it was a TikTok about... Um, Please lie, <laughs> lie, lie. <laughs> TikTok is amazing. It was basically about how, like, things are actually embedded in our DNA. Like, they were saying, like, people who have ancestors that lived through the Irish famine are always a little, uh, like, heavier. Because, like, in their DNA, like, there's, like, this fear of hunger. And I was, like, and, like, there's a lot of other examples of that. That was just the one I remembered because, like, I I think I have ancestors who live through the Irish famine. I don't know. It'll make me feel better about my body. Um, (laughs) But I thought that was so interesting because I was, like, that is true. That is definitely a real thing. And I feel like we do not. And there is a word for it, but I don't remember what it's called. Um, But, um... But I feel like that, in a way, is, is like, ghosts. Like, there's, like, the ghosts of the past that, like, like still, like, exist in us. Yeah. Ghosts yeah. in terms of, like, actual ghosts, but also, like, anything that yeah. you might be, like, haunted by. Yeah. Or like, tr- yeah. Like, even, like, 
modern day stuff or like not super modern but like something that like generational trauma of like the 80s that's like that can come as a that's the phrase i was trying to think of generational trauma (laughs) yeah i use it a lot in my household But um, that's why I love ghost stories because I think like as um, I think Dan I what I think both of you have basically said it in, dif- in different words ghosts really do exist in the real world um, in a whether it be paranormal if you believe in that or um, or not um, it's just like you see the remnants of the past every single day in the choices we make and in the results of the future so it's um, you know it's with you biologically too um, I I do remember reading about intergenerational trauma. Um, specifically because my, uh, for my family, like I think about like the Korean war and what my, um, like grandparents have gone through and stuff like that. And so, you know, it, it's, it's really insane, but ghosts are real in that way. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. Cause like, okay, if you were to ask me, I like, don't think ghosts are real in a paranormal way. I do think there is like, there have been incidences that I think are like spiritual ghosts if I don't know that's not super the right word but if you know what I mean like not like I'm seeing figures but like things will happen where I'm like oh like like that was that spirit but I don't think ghosts are real like in a paranormal way and people think I don't know I didn't know people (laughs) thought ghosts were real in a paranormal way I thought we all had agreed that they were um and I've been finding out recently that people do think they're real in a paranormal way which is really incredible because I thought I've got I was like oh no no everyone knows they aren't real but now I'm like, I don't know. Be kind of cool if they were. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same, Amelia. And then Americans got really insulted. I was like, I'm not insulting your culture, I promise. So now I believe in them. Ghost culture. <laughs> the American um, culture is believing in ghosts, apparently. <laughs> um. It's interesting because I didn't really believe in ghosts either I thought they were just very fun and also it was a big taboo growing up because I grew up super religious my dad is a reverend so are my like so is my grandpa it's you know um but um then I had like a few experiences and I was like I'm not sure anymore but I think it's really fun to play with this idea um (laughs) yes but also like like there's definitely like ooh spooky ghosts but I'm also interested in like do you think time works linear linearly linearly like i feel like part of ghosts existing is that like sometimes i feel like time doesn't exist in a linear fashion okay christopher nolan Mm. (laughs) yes i mean that leads me to my next question is time linear (laughs) is time linear you know that's not my field of expertise okay but but i mean like I wonder if, like, ghosts just don't really know that. It's, like, the same question. It's, like, do ghosts know that they're dead? Or are they living the same thing over and over again? Are they haunted by the things that they haven't done or they want yeah. to do, you know? Gosh. I think ghosts are haunted, too, because, like, you're dead, but you can't rest in a way, you know? Like, when I'm dead, yeah. I want to be gone. Like And, like, okay, <laughs> circling, <laughs> circling back to your piece, like, Georgie is a ghost, and the reason she is there as a ghost is because she has unfinished business. And, like, I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Something bringing you back. And even in the word bringing you back, there's, like, a sense of forward and also going back. Yeah. So Yeah. How did you grapple with this theme of unfinished business? Um... I think 
it was sort of culturally ingrained in me because there is a uh, term called Han in Korean and it is this sort of, it's much more complex than I can explain it, but it's this like traditional idea of need for avenging, um, the need for something unfinished, this like really deep sadness about it. And it, it shows up all throughout history. There's, you know, when Korea was colonized by Japan, there was like a whole thing. And, um, and that idea always like really was interesting for me as growing up also like as a person of color like um being here and just trying to understand like the sort sort of like anger i would have to suppress or the um things that i would have to suppress and not feel like they could be avenged in a way um and you know i also am someone who is prone to like um i'm very like slow at processing my emotions in the moment like if someone's yelling at me i'll sit there i'll think about it I'll think about it for a day and I'll come back and I'll be like, why did you yell at me? <laughs> like, why you, like, were you me angry? at least 24 hours? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I didn't make sense of that in that moment. Um, so, you know, I end up like shadow boxing with myself a lot where I'm like, this is the conversation I would have wanted to have with this person, whether it be like a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and usually that's how a lot of my plays um, or scenes come about is that I have conversations by myself. Um, so, you know, that also, I feel like, so the idea of this unfinished business um, kind of affecting your past and your future, um, it's just like ingrained in me that way, my personality and my heritage, I think. So overall, you mentioned some gothic fiction writers that inspired you, but are there any other writers that, I mean, really artists of any sort that inspire you? Yeah, I think a huge um, inspiration, and this might be very basic for someone who likes poetry, but I love Emily Dix Dickinson. I love her work. I um, have a little pocket book of her oh. um, things that I just carry around. I read. Um, and one thing that really fascinates me about her work is that, um, well, first of all, she talks about nature a lot and like just the human experience a lot, which a lot of poets do. But at the time, you know, when she was alive, only 10 of her poems were published and there were like wow. at least 2000 rest that were not published when she was alive and it makes me think like she was purely writing for her thoughts to exist in the flesh mm -hmm. and that really is amazing to me and she also used to write poems on the little flaps of um letter envelopes um places where you wouldn't think so they have whole collections of those and i, I think that's just amazing that's really cool she she loves death she does she, she wrote I was, funeral I just in her to brain. I was an essay about her for my poetry class. And in it, they're like, <laughs> Dickinson loves death. And I'm like, she does. She's pretty um, goth. Do you ever, like, merge poetry and screenplay together? Or, like, do you ever get an inspiration when you were writing one that you carry to the other? Or do you ever, like, find yourself writing very lyrically or lyrical, whatever, whichever? Mm. I think so. I think that's one of the, like the traps that kind of fall into when I'm writing dialogue, um, where sometimes I'm like, someone, no one would say this. This is if someone said this to me, I would <laughs> slap like, them. No one. Talks like this. <laughs> no one. Um, so that's you know, I try to watch out for that, and um, but I also think like poetry is so visual. It's it's a written, um, you know, it's a written media, but it's also so visual that it makes the kind of the gears turn in my mind of what I want to see on screen. So in terms of like screenplay specifically, I'll be like, well, if this was a poem, I would see it going from here to here, right? So how do I get there without, you know, the person basically singing sonnets at the other character? Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. That's so interesting. And you said this in its final form would be a full-length film. Um, 
would these two characters be the first relationship that we encounter? And would the revelation of the scene be the main revelation that carries the entire movie forward? I think so. Um, I think that I want to, I would want to begin with um, the scene. We would follow um, Georgie onto the subway, into the subway car. It would close, the titles would come up, and then you would see Georgie, you would see Skye waiting in the apartment, Georgie enter, you see bits and pieces of their argument throughout the story interwoven with other scenes and other arguments. Oh, they'll be interwoven. And the big... Okay, well, that makes sense, yeah. you know? Okay, And now, the big, like, revelation, the trigger, trigger of the revelation will be that, you know... Oh, okay. This makes so much sense. <laughs> and I didn't thought of that. Okay, now that I know that. Tennis is like, wow, you're good. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> I mean, good. Wait, why did I think it would like move on from one character to the other and to the other? Like, obviously, it makes more sense <laughs> that they're. I swear, I'm I'm an actor as well. I, yeah. I'm, I, I mean, stuff. I feel like that'd be so painful for the people watching. <laughs> it's like more people dying as you go on. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> they all just keep dying. <laughs> they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh god. Okay. Silly me, sorry. <laughs> silly, silly, but silly. maybe there are other people who've like who've been concerned about that. So now they know. <laughs> what do you do when you have writer's block, or are you one of those people who never get them? I get them often. I just don't acknowledge them because they happen, and then I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm just I don't want to force it. I don't. No, no, it's not a block. I just it's not the time to write. <laughs> But there are times when I can't, and actually when I wrote this was when I couldn't. Because I realized that in two days I had to share something with you um, at the Writers Collective. I was like, I could dig up something, but I don't want to do that. I'm a liar if I do that. Um, but um, how I got over that is, well, in this case it was special because it was the playlist and also just the force of like <laughs> my current mental health and the blind header. Um, um, and, you know, um, <laughs> but... Uh, in other cases, I normally will do the thing I said before where I'll shadow box myself. I'll have this interesting dialogue in me as like one character to another character for a while. And then I'll be like, that's interesting. Let me write that down. Uh, let me keep that with me because that's a fun daydream to go into. So like it, it'll be even funner if I have it written down. So that's usually how I end up writing. But for poems, I usually think of an image like for my poem like about pomegranates I thought about pomegranates as like a bag of jewels um I you know will paint and I'll think like oh like I want to write this into words and that's usually poetry hmm then do you like first see the entire movie and then write it or do you write it like or like do you visualize it as you write it does that make sense yeah um I definitely visualize it, and that's what keeps it moving. Good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever feel like you're... Sometimes I feel like what I visualize is so good that I don't want to write it because I know it's going <laughs> to be so bad, <laughs> so I just don't write it. Do you ever feel like that's... How do you get over that? Um... I would say I just go for it. I'm like, if I start feeling doubts and if I start thinking about it too much, like it's never going to get on a page and then I'll never know if it's good or bad. Like I'll just never see mm. it in its worst state and its best state. Um, like recently I was in the car listening to some, like, I think it was like a song from the soundtrack of Brave. I don't know why it was playing. I was 
we were driving it through trees, so I guess that's why I was thinking about Brave. Um, and I thought, wouldn't it be really cool if like there was a story about um, this person who's non-binary, but um, they live in this like magical medieval era, but it's like super diverse, and they want to be like a soldier. They want to become like a warrior and save the princess. Um, so I was thinking about this, and I was like, that's too much. I can't put that on. It's too good in my <laughs> mind right now. Much. I can't. Yeah, I can't write it down. But then I was like, if I don't write it down, it's never gonna happen. I'll never know if it's stinky oh. or not. <laughs> Do you, I, I have the reverse thing where I'll be like, oh my God, that's such a good idea. Oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. I start writing it and I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not. Just it's not to get good. there. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> that's you, very imagine, imagine. Were you, when you were a kid, did you play pretend a lot? Yeah. I played pretend so much that I used to, um, I was really creepy in the sense that um, <laughs> I used to always like draw on this uh, big sketchbook with like a bunch of crayons and I would be alone in a room and my parents would find me talking in place of the characters and they would be like, oh my lord, there's something wrong with our child. I can imagine um, them. <laughs> so, you know, horrifying for my parents, great for my imagination. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, Esther was an artsy, fashionable baby. And may I request, instead of sending us your headshot, please send us a photo of baby Esther in baby denim overalls. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, my parents made me do an all denim photo shoot once. That's not. <laughs> That's. <laughs> okay, final question. Would you be willing to share one of your ghost stories with us? Yes. You don't have to. I, I will. I just have I'm to change some of the right locations now. and names. Um, it's. I don't think it's that scary. I mean, I'm here. I'm fine. I survived it. Not had interaction with this ghost or these two ghosts for a while. Um, so um, I think. So I think one of you might have heard it, but I don't know that for sure. I I'm quite loud about this one. So. Um, <laughs> they won't so come here. Right? I'm in another country right now. No, you're in another here. country. Um, this happened in New York City, so Amelia, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, so I had a summer job, and it, you know, part of it took place in sort of like a residence area where I had to go around and make sure that um, people were moving out for the summer. I'm not going to make names about any institutions or anything. I don't want to, you know, um, and. Basically, I had to knock on every door, and it was mostly vacant, and uh, this uh, building had no um, elevators that were in use, only the cargo elevators that were used only during move-in, um, and I was told that only two people were still in the rooms, um, and that I, it was just me, security guard, those two people who, one lived on the first floor, the uh, other lived on the fourth or the third floor, and the rest are most likely empty, but I had to knock on all the doors, take pictures, walk through all the rooms, check. So um, I went. You know, it's it was pretty dark. It's a really old building in the East Village. Um, and, you know, I have to go through every single room. It's, it's a mess. There's, like, bugs from time to time. You know, I'm like, this is already, like, you know, it's hot. There's no AC. Like, I'm, you know, frustrated. Um, so I meet the guy on the first floor. He's fine. And, you know, I, I do my stuff on the first floor. I go up to the second floor. Um, and, you know, I, I'm... And, by the way, there are no windows in the hallways of these uh, of this building. So I'm walking through, I knock on all the doors, um, and I go in, and then I end up at this room, and I hear laughing, like two women laughing, 
and I knock and I'm like, hey, um, this is my job. I have to come in actually. I'm hired by the people who own this building um, to make sure that you know to move out um, and I have to go in and check your room. And um, I just hear more laughing and I'm like, this is rude. This is rude. They're like terrible. I was about to curse, but I was like, this is rude. Um, so I'm like, I have keys, like I can come in and I hear more laughing and I knock again. And so it's a locked steel door. So it should have, had I knocked it and it had it, you know, moved because of me, it should have gone in, you know, way away from me. Um, but it kind of, um, I don't know how to explain it. It like, it like moved, except it like did a thud, but like towards me, even though I was knocking the yeah. other way. And I was like, oh man. Um, and then at this point I was like, these people are really mean. I'm really angry and I'm going to file a complaint because I can, I'm an employee. So I <laughs> unlock the door. I go in. the suite is entirely dark. Um, the windows, the, 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 what is it? The shades are down. Um, everything is emptied out. Like all the, all the cabinets are open. I am like, they could be hiding in the, in the rooms. You know what? But every room I went into and there were like four rooms, really big room, a really big suite. Um, they were all locked. Everything was moved out. No one was there. Um, and none of the windows were open. So I was like, that's weird. Um, and I started feeling a little sick, but I assumed like, it's really hot. It's probably that I'm, you know, getting really nauseous. Like I, I need to leave. I leave, I'm fine. And I do the rest of the floors. I meet the other girl, you know, it's all fine. I leave and I um, go to work and you know, it's after a while of working, like my last week of work, um, my I overhear like my, um, one of the, my fellow employees like talking about like a ghost story they heard. And I was like, a ghost, there's a ghost. And um, they were like, yeah, don't you know, there's um, in that building over there that you went to check that one time, um, there are actually, um, these two girls died there in the thirties cause it was an orphanage. These two young girls died. There was a fire. And I was like, no, you're kidding. Um, and I'd never told this person of my story. Cause I was like, it's not important. Um, and they were like, what, what's wrong? And I was like, I, and I told them and they were like, yeah, that's probably the ghost. That's probably the two girls that are like infamous over there. Um, they're quite prankster. They're quite the pranksters. Um, and then a week later I was like trying to cope with it. So I was like, ah, so funny, so funny. So this building happens to be nearby, um, on the same block as a restaurant that I really enjoy. Um, and I go to, uh, a lot when I'm in New York and I, I went there with two of our friends. Um, and, um, as we were passing by the building, as a joke, I was telling them the story and I went, see the, the, the ghosts I met there and there, they're my friends now. And I like blew them a kiss as a joke. I was like being all flirty. <laughs> um, and then we went to the restaurant, we sat down and my, one of my friends went to go to the restaurant. My two friend, my other friend and I were facing each other on, at a table. And there was another couple next to us. That's on a, on the second table right next to us. And then there's like two chairs in between us and the couple. Um, and no one's touching it. We're like having a good time. And suddenly the two chairs fall but they fall in a way where it's like, we could not have knocked it. Like one falls, like they both fall on their backs and they were both facing each other. And they were both in between like two people and two other people like, eating and sitting down. So like no one was passing by, knocking it down. And I look at my friend and I go, I think the ghosts are mad at me because I mocked them earlier. <laughs> oh, no. oh. So yeah. I remember you telling this to me when we were walking back from dinner. Like, I started crying immediately because I knew. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I mean, 
happy ending is that I was cleansed. Uh, this was when uh, my roommate, who is like, who knows like witch witchy stuff, like was around. So she cleansed me. So I'm That's good. Nice. She thinks that the ghosts were just trying to like have fun with me. That it, there were no. Yeah, they were just pranksters, so, you know, that's the good part. <laughs> wow. I'm thoroughly spooked. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's bedtime. I'm going to go to bed, Esther. What are we going to do? <laughs> good night. Thank you so much, Esther, for that story and also being on this podcast. <laughs> good and scaring Dennis. We should tell people to, watch, to listen to this at night. Just, yeah. to, just to get the I mean, this is timely. experience. Halloween is soon, so it's timely at least. It is Halloween, so. Yeah. It'll be long gone once this episode is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so forget about it. Wow. wow. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. What a joy. God, thank you so pleasure. much for coming. Of course. Bye. Writer's Block Party was created by Invisible Disco Production. It's produced by Amelia Ammon, Dana Smollett, Lauren Montez, and Thea Thronson and is edited by Noah Friend. If you enjoyed this, check us out at IDP Presents WBP on Twitter and at Invisible Disco Productions on Instagram and Patreon. Thanks, and have a great week.